Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm James Rogers, and this is the History Hit World Wars podcast. When World War I broke out in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed that the United States would remain neutral. In fact, the US only officially entered the war three years later. When it came to the Second World War, there was a similar story of hesitation. It took the infamous and seismic bombing of Pearl Harbor in 1941 to bring America on the side of Britain and the Allies. So why was America reluctant to enter both wars? What public and political pressures delayed decision-making? And how did American involvement in both the world wars change the course of history forever? Well, in this episode of the History Hit World Wars podcast, Rob Weinberg asked the big questions to Dr. Mitch Goodrum, Senior Lecturer in Modern History at Canterbury Christchurch University. joining us. No, pleasure. How did America position itself pre the First World War? Before the First World War, it tried to think of itself as more of a hemispheric power. So it was thinking about the defence of its own territory and of the hemisphere, so the Caribbean and Central and Southern America, and trying to keep out as far as it could of European affairs. Still some interest in the Pacific as well because of the vast markets that they could see in China and that potential and some concern about Japan, but generally trying as far as possible to pursue an isolationist foreign policy. So who was involved when deciding whether the United States would enter the war or not? Well, under the terms set out in the Constitution, it's Congress that has the power to declare war. And it was Congress that declared the states of war in both the first and the Second World War. And did America have a history then of non-interventionist policies before the First World War? Yes and no. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a mix and match, really. Their non-interventionist practices tend to apply to Europe. As I said, it's positioning itself as, as a hemispheric power, so it's much more active within its own hemisphere. So in the Mexican-American War of 1846 to 1848, they were obviously very active in that. They took a lot of territory from Mexico. The Spanish-American-Cuban-Filipino War of 1898, 
which is a war with Spain, but about Spanish possessions within their hemisphere and in the Pacific. So it's quite active in its own hemisphere, but it's trying to keep its distance from Europe. Why did President Woodrow Wilson want to keep the United States out of the First World War? So in 1914, he says that the US will be neutral in thought as well as deed. And he's saying this because if we say kind of the US and Woodrow Wilson, we might think of a very white European nation. Obviously, European is, is already a problem because you've got different European nations at war with each other. You've got Americans that have come from Germany, that have come from Ireland, that have come from Russia, that have come from Britain. So all of these different national backgrounds are contending within the US at the time. And so you've got a nation of immigrants and you've got divided loyalties within there. So he's concerned about the potential of dividing the nation on those lines. He's also concerned about the creation of a militarised state. So looking at these European powers in a balance of power system, what he sees is countries that are always almost on the verge of war. You get stuck into these arms races and you have to spend a lot of money on the military and then the military acquires an undue influence in the life of the nation. So he wanted to avoid that and any potential pretext for that development. So what then persuaded America to enter the Great War? So there are some near misses earlier on. So he's trying to stay neutral, but then in 1915, there's unrestricted German submarine warfare in the Atlantic, which led to the sinking of the RMS Lusitania. While it's en route from New York to Liverpool, they had put warnings in the American press that they were going to sink the vessel but these were ignored. And when it was sunk, 1,198 people were killed, including 128 of the 139 Americans who were on board. So this led Wilson to issue a series of diplomatic notes to Germany as a result, or seeking an apology, denying that the Lusitania had been carrying ammunition, which was the Germans' line, it had been carrying ammunition, and asserting the rights of Americans to travel at sea as a neutral power. So Germany apologises, and the US keeps out of the war then, but that's not its only concern with Germany in 1915. They're also worried about German influence in Haiti in 1915, which might seem strange, but there's a small German community in Haiti with very powerful financial interest that they're able to leverage. And again, this is the US being worried about penetration into its hemisphere. And Haiti is in a key position for the Panama Canal. And the Panama Canal was finished in 1914. So American Marines occupy Haiti in 1915. And throughout all of this time, Britain is blockading Germany. So the US is unable to trade with Europe in the way that it was with Britain. So Britain is racking up a lot of debt in America. At the time, it's raising loans on American markets. And this is bringing the two nations much closer together and making it essential for the economic future of the US that Britain wins. And then in 1917, the Germans go back to unrestricted submarine warfare, despite going back on their promise of 1915. They also issued the Zimmerman Telegram to Mexico, 
which says if the Mexicans join the Germans and declare war on the US, then when they win, the Mexicans will have the territory lost in the Mexican-American War of 1846-48 returned to them. So this ultimately forces Wilson's hand and he joins the war in April 1917. And what impact did America's delayed arrival then have on the outcome of the Great War? It's impossible to say what would have happened had they joined earlier. What's clear is that it's a huge psychological boost for the Entente powers, Britain and France, because in 1917 we've had the Russian Revolution, that's one of their allies gone, and then by the summer of 1918, two million American troops have arrived in France. By November of 1918, they're arriving at about 10,000 a day. So this tremendous boost for the Entente powers and a tremendous blow for Germany and their allies. What influence then did America's late entrance into World War I then have upon their entry into World War II? Yeah, well, they are connected and it's not necessarily the late entrance into the First World War, but it's the perception of the First World War that works towards how America enters the Second World War. So a Senate report into the First World War states that the US was basically tricked into joining the First World War by arms manufacturers and by these wily old world politicians who wanted them to join. And then throughout the sort of mid to late 1930s, there's a series of neutrality acts that are passed which directly address some of the things coming out of the First World War. So they're about limiting Americans travelling on belligerent shipping. So they couldn't go on British ships if they were at war, that kind of thing. Dictating what kind of goods the US can sell to powers in a state of war how those powers can pay for them, how they have to collect them. So cash and carry, basically. If you want to buy guns from us, fine, but you bring your own ship and you pay us in dollars. We're not going to give you credit or anything like that. And that's all working out ways of not being drawn into a war in the way they had with the First World War. So America then enters the Second World War. Again, why the delay there? You see, the US formally enters the Second World War after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, 7th of December 1941. They declare war on Japan on the 8th of December 1941 and against Germany on the 11th of December 1941. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire.
their formal military involvement is late in the sense if we think about the war as starting as 1939 when Britain and France get involved, but they've already been quite heavily involved behind the scenes, as it were. So before they're involved, President Roosevelt says, England and France are our first line of defence. So his initial line is, we're not going to fight, but we will bolster our first line of defence by supplying weapons and goods and things to these countries so that we don't have to fight. And this is sort of the line of the arsenal of democracy is what the US will be. And again, they pursue lend-lease a bit later where goods would be loaned or leased to European powers for the duration of the war. And again, it's not called lend-lease. We always think of it as lend-lease, but the actual formal title is an act to promote the defence of the United States. So we can see they're already conceiving of this war over in Europe as a threat to national security. But given the isolationist sentiment around the First World War and, and its aftermath, Roosevelt can't take the nation straight in, even though he is sort of an internationalist. It's dependent on that old hemispheric way of thinking being shown to be insufficient, shown that modern technology has changed the way that the world works, and it's the Japanese attack that brings that home very forcefully. So how impactful was America's arrival on the outcome of the Second World War? Well, as with the First World War, their intervention is crucial. It's the resources that come in and keep the Allies going, you know, the North Atlantic convoys to Russia, to Britain, places that have already been fighting, it keeps them going. And in terms of the extra numbers that are brought in, the numbers of men, the military hardware, and again, another psychological boost that does so much for the Allies. And unlike in the First World War, the US enters as an ally rather than an associate power. So in the First World War, when it does come in, it still tries to keep a bit of distance by being an associate power. So it's like, we're gonna fight the war, but we're gonna fight it on our terms. In the Second World War, it comes in as a fully committed allied power. And it's not the only reason that the war takes the course it does. I mean, there's the Battle of Stalingrad and other great successes we might look at elsewhere. Um, where the US might not have been so prominent. But in terms of the war in the Pacific, we always have to think about the atomic bomb. And that's a very clear outcome of the Second World War that we enter the nuclear age. How did people respond nationally and around the world to America's entrance into both the wars? So into the Second World War, it's Churchill after Pearl Harbor says that he slept the sleep of the saved and thankful because he knew then that the US were going to enter the war and it was going to be, you know, if not fine now, at least it would in the end be fine, if a war can ever be fine. With the First World War, it's that they were reaching exhaustion point and then all of a sudden there's this huge influx of people and money and it's relief from the Allied side anyway when the US enters. To what extent do you think... America's involvement in both the world wars was inevitable. We like to think of things as inevitable, but I don't think we can ever say that anything is really inevitable. 
But if you look at the shifting conceptions of national security from the defence of its territorial integrity, its hemisphere, to thinking about national security as trade routes, as ideology, you know, as democracy and freedom. I mean, if you've ever seen any Second World War American films, you know, they're very keen on going on about democracy and freedom at the time. But these are ideas that had to be defended. And they realised that if the Nazis won and constructed a kind of closed economic and ideological bloc, those things couldn't exist. So how is America's entrance into the world wars remembered or even assessed today? We think about it through popular history and popular conceptions. And one way that we come through that is through the cultural industries. And of course, who has the strongest cultural industry in the world? It's the US. So Hollywood has done a lot to shape the way that we think about the Second World War. And one of the reasons that America tends to win the war all the time in the films that Hollywood makes is because during the Second World War, a few films were made that were pro-Soviet because they were allied with the Soviets. So this was fine in 1943. But then in 1947-48, this was no longer fine. And the people who had made those films were sort of reinterpreted as dangerous communist subversives. So the easy way to get away from that is just to make the US win the war nice and easily. But that's not just a Second World War phenomenon. So the reason that Biggles starts in 1932 is because W.E. Johns, who was then editor of Popular Flying, got sick of reading stories about Americans coming over here and winning the war in the air. So he started writing Biggles initially as a more realistic version of what the First World War had been like. So I think culture has a lot to do with it and that's why the US tends to feature so strongly. Mitch, thank you. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. 
The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. So you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hip. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.